Podcast. Today we have with us Daryl Evans. Daryl, how are you? Shahid, I'm great. I'm super glad to be here. Really pumped up uh, and excited to share some some ideas with your audience today. Thanks for having me. Oh, that's great. You know, I'm, I know you're so busy, and we had to. I had I had to I think reschedule once too. So I'm so grateful that you um, you know took the time to come out and and speak to me. It's really about a very laid back, friendly conversation, right? Like we just like to kind of provide value to the audience, something that gives them an, an a little push or a nudge or something that will guide them or provide some kind of value. So you're definitely the kind of right guy to be here right now, and I'm grateful to you for coming on the show. I'm super glad to be here and uh, hopefully I can deliver on that promise to your audience. No, oh, yeah, you will. Don't worry. You will. You're awesome. Thank you so much, Daryl. So let That's me right. kind of let the stage, take the stage to introduce yourself to the audience. Um, all the amazing things that you do and we'll take it from there. You know, I appreciate that. Uh, amazing things. I think everyone has amazing stories and uh, yes. amazing background. But anyway, uh, my name is Daryl Evans. Uh, thanks again for having me. Uh, born and raised here in Las Vegas, Nevada, and uh, got started in entrepreneurship uh, in my early days of college, uh, kind of dipping my toe in the water. Uh, got an early start in leadership. I was also a restaurant manager for a little company called Taco Bell. Not sure if, if your audience is familiar with that. It's college, college kids' favorite food restaurant because it's the cheapest one to eat at. Um, but I started working and working in leadership there. I, I was actually a general manager at age 20. And uh, the entrepreneurship bug bit me. And uh, I just decided to, to really take it full on uh, probably around the age of 30. So 10 years, I kind of dibbled and dabbled, you know, still had work plus entrepreneurship on the side. Uh, and then a life event uh, around 98, 99 happened and uh, it forced my hand on making a decision. And it was probably one of the best decisions I ever made. Uh, the life situation was certainly not fun to go through, but uh, nevertheless, sometimes you need those defining moments in your life, those triggering events that uh, set you on a path to your future. And so uh, fast forward to today, I've been running a digital marketing agency now for the last uh, 11 years with a business partner outside of some consulting and some other things, but uh, that's our primary business. And uh, we've been running that now since uh, 2000 and late 2010, early 2011. And we're partnered up with HubSpot, uh, marketing automation, CRM, the whole bit, and uh, really been doing well with companies. I think we're north of 300 million uh, or so in revenue for the clients that we work with. So that's been our journey in a short snippet. That's awesome. So are you actually targeting that type of clientele or do you have a specific size that you look at when you work with someone? Yeah. So our agency really is, think of our agency as uh, the outsourced digital marketing department for a small to mid-sized firm. So we're, we're a bit big, we're bigger than the company. That's just sort of the one person solopreneur, uh, you know, they, they've gotten up to, you know, a couple million in revenue, 3 million in revenue. Maybe they're in that three to 10 million revenue spot. Uh, although there've been some bigger companies, we've got companies that are 30, 50, 80 million, but we do stand, we tend to stay away from the fortune, the big fortune companies, right? Because, uh, our agency brings both strategy plus execution and a team of experts. So the problem with big companies that we have found nothing wrong with the big giants, we have had our fair share of opportunities there is we tended to get put into a little silo. 
inside of a massive marketing system. So you mm-hmm. think of a company that has 15 or 20 uh, marketing team, you know, they just really need somebody to do some execution in lead gen or CRO or, you know, data analysis or Facebook ads. And that just wasn't what we wanted to do. We wanted to come in and partner with companies to help them grow and scale. One of the big statistics that weighs on my mind every day that I, I, I do my work is the uh, 5% of companies that actually make more than a million dollars a year and the 95% that don't. So we're really in this market to really help those companies that get to a million, figure out how to scale and, and get to what the entrepreneur really wants, right? Which is the freedom of time, freedom of life, freedom of, of, of revenue and income. And if they choose to get the business in a place where it can be sold, and that may not always be the goal, but uh, we just find a lot of business owners own a job that they actually hate. And so we try to alleviate that by bringing in the right marketing and sales systems uh, from a digital perspective, because that's where our expertise lies. Mm-hmm. And in your entrepreneur journey, what type of businesses were you in before you started this one? Oh yeah. Great question. So I, I would say the first, so the very first business, uh, Shahid was a, uh, uh, what would today be called e-commerce. I called it trunk commerce, I guess now, because I, I started a, a, uh, retail business out of the trunk of my car at the swap meet when I was in college. So I played sports growing up football, baseball, basketball, and I, so I'm still to this day, a massive sports fan. So I always find myself after after business attire, I'm always in sportswear. So I'm a Lakers fan, Dodgers fan, Rams fan. Cause I grew up in Vegas at that time. We had no sports teams. So today we have the Raiders, the golden Knights, the aces. We have a lot of teams now here in Vegas, but we didn't have teams when I grew up. So I just decided, Hey, let me find someone who sells uh, merchandise. And I would set up uh, my back, my little Honda civic up to a, a space. I'd run a space for the weekend. I'd be out there from six 30 in the morning till one or two o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday and Sunday. I couldn't be there Friday cause I had school and work. Uh, but on the weekends I was out there and I'd pop up my table and sell some, some merchandise. And that was sort of my first little hustle. But, uh, so that was the first little thing. I had a business with a business partner with a friend of mine in college, which was the janitorial service that didn't go well. Uh, we didn't, we still are friends to this day, but that business didn't make it, uh, fast forward into the 2000 arena. I was in the real estate and mortgage lending industry. I uh, ended up owning a real estate, or sorry, a mortgage company, uh, while carrying a real estate license through that entire period. And that was a home run for me. Um, not just a home run because of the industry, but because I actually got a degree in finance and it just paired really well with what I studied thinking I wanted to go work on wall street and do portfolio theory, portfolio analysis and trading. Uh, it just paired very well with me. And, um, so that was the run from 2000 to 2010 and around 2008 ish, nine ish, when the market was crashing, of course, uh, we obviously took some lumps as a small mortgage outfit. And I just, you know, I had done some work in 2005 with my business and life coach at that time. And I just started evaluating whether the trajectory of the mortgage industry in my career was going to get me where I wanted to go. And uh, the answer became no. And so I started looking for some new opportunities. And I had started uh, with digital marketing around 2004, 2005 in that industry. And by the time I looked up, the industry needed digital because a lot of people that were coming into my market were coming in from Canada. They're coming in from you know overseas and the local market customer base was 
tapped because they were either their, their, their house was upside down. They couldn't do anything with it. Nobody was buying homes at that time, except people from out of the area. So it was my online marketing that kept my business afloat and, and really kept me full of uh, pipeline. And I was like looking around and all these business owners can't get any mortgages. They can't get cash out of their properties because the bank only gives you money when you don't need it. Um, and I'm like, wait a minute, they're not doing digital marketing. They're, they're like, I'm doing okay. And they're struggling because they're still doing radio, TV, billboards. And mm. so anyway, it just became an open door for me. And I wanted some freedom of location. Um, I was also tired of getting calls at five o'clock at night, six o'clock at night when I was coaching football, cause I coach youth football. And so the, the, the shift for me was like, okay, I've got this skill set No one else seems to have. And it, how do I apply that? And then I can actually pair that with some of my bigger life goals. And so that was a shift. And I met my business partner a couple of years before that we decided to, to pair up and uh, launch the company that we're in today. And, uh, that's kind of the, uh, short run of, of those couple of careers. And I had a little fitness thing on the side as well. Cause I'm a big fitness guy, but I wouldn't have called that a business. That's more of a side hustle. That's cool. I love hearing these things, you know, like it's, um, <laughs> It's fascinating. Like it fascinates me when I hear like the journey that people go through and, and all the, the experiences. Um, I have my experiences, I know, but then when you hear other people's experiences, you can relate like, because we're all connected. Like we're all like, we're all in it, you know? And we, we, when we hear these things from each other, it just, you just feel some points feel good. Some feels, you know, you some uh, feel that, Hey, I can do better or I can help make sure I don't go through what this person went through. I can do this different. You know what I mean? So it adds some clarity. So I love, I love hearing this. And back to that part when you went in your trunk, right? <laughs> Selling from the trunk. Was that, was there some kind of trigger that made you want to do that? Like, what was it that you, why did you take that leap? Like, you know, yeah. what, but let me step back. Like your parents, are they in business or are they, employees nine to five. No, they were, they were a uh, career. They were career professionals. My dad okay. was uh, in the, uh, he was in sales. He was in the, the uh, jewelry business for a long period of time. And then he was in the financial sales business for, for some time. My mom was in banking and uh, mm -hmm. retail store management. So those were her two tracks that, that were most prominent in my memory. Uh, she was in retail management. Then she went to banking management. And then after 20 years there, she went back to retail on the tail end of her career. And, um, so no, no entrepreneurship in my, in my, in my family lineage that I'm aware of. My grandmother mm -hmm. did have a real estate license, um, at some point in her journey, but she was a registered nurse. So no, just a professional, um, uh, career path. And, and I've, I've said this to some folks, I was really blessed that I didn't have anyone in my family try to talk me out of entrepreneurship. Um, and which was great because a lot of times you get loved ones who say, you know, what are you doing? And believe me, Shahid, I've taken some lumps. Uh, I've taken some serious lumps and as any entrepreneur does, but again, I think when you make decisions about your future and, and being able to sit in the seat of your life, 25 years from now and doing that hard work, you can make decisions about what risks you're willing to take, what chances, because you only get one shot at this, right? We all only get one shot at this. And I just didn't have a settling mentality. And I was good at what I did in my job. I'm a great student. I was a great student. I had good grades. Right. I was great in my first career. Um, call it a career because I was a general manager for Taco Bell. Um, I didn't need a degree to do as well as I did. And I was good at it. It was fine. But I also realized it wasn't enough. 
it wasn't as fulfilling. It wasn't as rewarding and it, it got boring pretty quick. And I'm not saying boring cause I was that good, but it just got boring. And so I'm just one of those people who understands my DNA. And I, I teach this in my, in my work with, with some of the entrepreneurs. And I'm like, I'm always trying to figure out what an entrepreneur's DNA is. And DNA means definite natural ability. And for me, I learned early on that my ability wasn't going to fit well in the corporate environment. And it wasn't because I couldn't follow the rules of a corporate environment. I can, but it was just because I was going to get bored quickly. And a lot of times I think people listening to the show even can figure out they're not happy. They're not settled with what they're doing, but they're afraid to take the risk. And so I just decided early on, the worst thing that can happen is it doesn't work out and I go get a job. That's the worst thing that can happen. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, it's not business failure. It's not financial failure because those things have happened along the way and I'm still here. So it's not as painful as you think it hurts mm -hmm. for the moment, but if mm -hmm. you take it as a learning lesson and move on to the next thing, you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. But when you look back at that time, was there something that, cause your family wasn't in business, right? Like you, what was that? Did you feel something inside you that say, you know what? I got to get into business. Like I got to, yeah, I got to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the funny yeah. story is I used to go to the grocery store with my mom all the time uh, in my teens and uh -huh. I would go and not go because I wanted to be in the grocery store. Although ironically today, I'm the cook of the house. So, uh, that, oh, really? that is past. yeah, I, I love to cook. It's, it's a hobby of mine. I I'm yeah. fascinated. I by can cooking. make eggs. Oh, <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> One of my favorite, but, but here was the interesting part. When I would, I would peel off from the, from the grocery basket and, uh, ask my mom if I could go to the magazine rack. And I just noticed that the top of my mind was always Entrepreneur Magazine, Business Opportunity Magazine, Forbes, Inc. That's what I would flip through when I was there. It wasn't, it wasn't, so that was just where my mind was gravitated to. And so mm -hmm. I can only say to you that when that opportunity presented itself uh, at the time when I decided to do the swap meet, it was more of a, I've been reading about this. It seems interesting. It has my mind. And here's a fun fact. I started college as an electrical engineering major for no other reason other than the fact that I, I liked walkie talkies and radios and boom boxes. And I just thought it looked interesting. So I just chose to do something, but then I got into business with Taco Bell and I was getting into a place of leadership and it, that became P and L's, you know, I started understanding P and L and ordering and inventory and team management and hiring and training and empowerment and all of this stuff that they provided me, which again, a lot of people don't realize happens inside of a fast food restaurant because those systems are very critical to what I believe helped me as an entrepreneur, because a lot of entrepreneurs, they, they, they kind of flail around and they don't have structure and they think, well, I'm, I'm my own boss. Well, being your own boss can be your own detriment too. Mm -hmm. If you don't, if you don't have the right systems in place, mm -hmm. but for me, it was one of those things. Let me do this and let me do something I actually like, which is, you know, so I think a lot of times people do things in entrepreneurship to chase money. And I was like, the worst thing that can happen is I, I have more clothes of, of sports teams. Like that was the worst thing that I could do. Um, yeah. so I just, it just was like, let me do this and see if I can earn money as an entrepreneur. Cause I already know mm -hmm. how to earn money as an employee. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for these weekends, I, I'd earn a couple hundred bucks a weekend. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like, you know, walk away from the job money, but it was like, it was enough to prove the concept that, Oh, I can buy something for this price yeah. and sell it at another price. If I bring it to a marketplace that might be interested. And it was just an early lesson in marketing and sales. And I didn't have to sell mm -hmm. anything actually, because you and I both know if you're a Rams fan, 
you're not, you know, you're not buying Denver Broncos stuff. Right. Mm. <laughs> so I it's figured easy. out that I'm on the West coast. So I had Oakland Raiders. I had Frisco. I had all the West coast stuff. Right. It has to sell. So, so that's awesome. And if you look like I'm a, I'm a big believer in that, you know, every human being that's on the planet is here for a purpose. So you going to those magazines and everything, and then where you are right now, impacting lives, helping entrepreneurs, you know, bringing them business, being successful, providing for your family, you know, all these beautiful things that you're doing started from that. So something guided you, you know what I mean? Like there's a path that you took and then you took the right path because you were here for a purpose. And this, you know, I don't know, or do you feel like this is your purpose? Yes. Uh, you hit on a great point. It took me some time to get to maybe the realization because in some cases you're just trying to feed your family. In other cases, yeah. it's, you know, in other cases, it's like, I've got to do what I've got to do because I've now made this new decision. But I guess now looking at it and I'm going to say 20, you know, 21 years now, full-time entrepreneurship, I would say that this was the only path for me and that life event that happened probably needed to happen in some way, shape or form. And again, as I look back on it now, it, it just, it had to happen. It, it, it needed to. to happen, right. It had, it had to happen. To. It's by you design. Know. No, it's all by design. And sometimes we don't yeah. love it when it happens and we don't understand how it happens. Um, and then to it fast happens. forward to where I'm, yeah, it, when it happened and the, the, you know, there's a, um, phrase I I've read and I've heard. And I, I, in fact, it came from a pastor and he, he said, nothing just happens under this, this universal spiritual world that we live in, nothing just happens, even the good and the bad. When the mortgage industry fell apart, when the real estate industry fell apart, that had to happen for me to get here. Yeah. If that doesn't happen, I probably don't make the change that has blessed my last, my life, the last 11 years. And it wasn't that my life wasn't blessed then, but that distinction, that triggering event, was a pivot point for inflection and reflection for me. And it may not have changed where I'm at today. So again, all things happen, by the way, for your listening audience, my company went under in that collapse because the banks pulled all the credit lines of small mortgage companies like mine. Now my mortgage company was small. We were doing a hundred million in, in revenue or, you know, top line sales, but that's a relatively small number. When you consider that at that time, uh, a countrywide home, uh, loan company was doing 300, 400 million a day. I'm doing it a year. Yeah. Right. So, so just, to, so that's how small we really were, but when they started pulling credit lines for no reasons whatsoever, because they were collapsing, they just pulled credit lines. Um, we didn't have the capital to meet the, um, FHA's new capital requirement, which was extending your credit lines in a market that was collapsing. So we just couldn't do anything about it. And so that was a tough window of time. So there was, sort of, I call it a forced business failure. Although there were certainly some things we probably could have done differently along the way, but we were just too small to stay. And, um, so that forced a hand in decision and thinking. And so again, everything happens for a reason. So 98, yes. something happens, 2008, something happens. Uh, I got to tell you something else, 2018 in my agency, and we could even jump forward to COVID 2018 in my agency, we lose our biggest client. And it was, it was one of those scenarios where we didn't realize, although we probably did, we just didn't pay attention that our concentration with this one company, because he had three companies that the owner of this group, they had three companies in our portfolio. 
and we didn't realize how much money they were paying us. I, they, we did, but we didn't realize what the balance was in our agency. <laughs> yeah. And they were about 28% of our revenue. And then he decided to go a different direction. And our business was quickly in, in some interesting waters. And so then you fast forward to COVID and all of the, a lot of our clients were like, everybody was told, Hey, you're not going to do business right now. If you're not a essential service. Mm -hmm. So the category of essential and non-essential was defined when COVID started yes. and the lockdown in March of the third week of March is when it hit us. 57% of our revenue disappeared in 14 days. I can agree with that. Right? So, so messed up a lot of entrepreneurs. Yeah. Yeah. And so in that, as much as, as painful as that was, and of course the government came in and did their thing, but as pay, that doesn't replace the revenue that was sustenance money. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you couldn't just get the PPP no. money and think your business was going to survive no. if you had bad economics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so it, that situation, every pivot point, every thing that we think of as a adverse situation, there's something to take from it. And um, it, it's part of how I have adjusted as, as the years have gone on. And so in this moment of 57% loss of revenue, okay, so COVID is a fact. We have been told to sit on the sideline. Our clients were told to sit on the sideline. Okay. So there's a group of people that are called essential businesses. Mm -hmm. So of the essential group, who can we help? <laughs> right? So you got to pivot. pivot. And, I'll, and before you know it, now you've got essential and non-essential and obviously uh, you just have to make those adjustments. So entrepreneurship is very much about your ability to adjust on the fly. Mm -hmm. And you, I hear so many stories, like especially with COVID, the entrepreneurs, the, the pivot they did and the things that they went through is just incredible. And, and I'm glad that mm -hmm. everything is okay now. And you guys are, yep. are on fire. You know what I mean? And the yeah. audience, you know, uh, and people that are listening to this, you can see, you can hear Daryl's um, voice. You can see it in his eyes. You can hear, you can see the mindset behind all this. Like, what did he go through? Just really think about this stuff. Like, really, this is supposed to be valuable, right? So listen to everything that he's saying and where he is right now and what he went through. We don't have all the details, but he's been through a lot. What kind of mindset did Daryl have to have? Right. And then what do you think about mindset, Daryl? Like, how do you, how did that play a role in your overall journey? A hundred percent everything. I tell people all the time that I've, I've spent uh, 29 or 30 years now working on myself a little bit every single yes. day. And had I not started back in the days, I'm going to go ahead and give credit where credit's due. For, I, got, I grew up in the church. So I give my parents credit for getting me involved in the church. And, and so uh, biblical teaching sits at the root of all of it. Of course, fast forward into the, to the, my twenties and it's Anthony Robbins, Tony, uh, sorry, it's Anthony Robbins. It's Zig Ziglar. Mm -hmm. It's Jim Rohn. Good. It's Les Brown. It's uh, Brian Tracy, early mentors of mine. I call them mentors. Although I've only, I've only met Les Brown out of all that group. Mm -hmm. um, They're mentors that they became, uh, I realized that in entrepreneurship, I couldn't look left or right and find advice at that age. There wasn't there. There probably were masterminds and group communities like we have today online, but there weren't as many in the nineties. And so it was always going to a seminar. I was always looking for a, another CD series, right? So I'm aging myself. I'm 51. Mm -hmm. I'm not an, a dinosaur, <laughs> but that's what we had. I kept my car on what I called car university. So I was constantly getting fed 
something about my mindset. And Tony Robbins gets the most credit because it was his material that I latched on to early on unlimited power, awaken the giant within, um, his power hour series. And so he gets a lot of credit for have, for the constant, uh, helping me understand how to adapt. And so, but today the 1998 situation began a situation where I had to deal with my own frameworks and my own mentality. Mm -hmm. And I've developed something over the years that I've realized really comes down to four steps as it relates to the mindset of, of how I deal with not just when things knock us down, right. When things set us back, but also how I address new goals. And so the four steps, I call it the mind shift method, as opposed to the mindset method. And it's really the name of my podcast, which is the mind shift podcast. Mm -hmm. And really it just sets it's four things, right? Number one, it's making peace with the facts mm -hmm. as we see them today. So COVID, for example, was a fact. The situation with us losing the revenue was a fact. We didn't do anything wrong to lose the revenue. The revenue was, you know, it made sense that the company wouldn't keep paying us if they couldn't keep doing business. So making peace with the facts. And a lot of people, instead of making peace with the facts, they make excuses about the facts. They blame others about the facts. Mm -hmm. And the answer is the reality is the facts are the facts. Mm -hmm. So the faster we can make mental peace with the facts, the more we can move to step two, which is making a decision, a new decision based on the facts. Mm -hmm. Right? So now, as I mentioned, just go back to that situation. Okay. 57% of the revenue is gone. I've got new decisions to make. Am I laying people off? Who are we going to have as customers now? What are we doing? So I've got to make new decisions. One of those decisions at that time was we weren't going to lay anybody off because we knew the facts, though they were facts, they were temporary facts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm not going to lay off people and risk not getting them back on a, on a short-term layoff because they have livelihoods and they have to go do other things. So my business partner and I, we were like, Hey, uh, don't think we're going to be able to, I mean, we're not going to leave by off because this is, we still have work to do and we have a bunch of specialties. So we can't just, you know, we can't, the person who, if we use a car metaphor, the person who handles paint in an auto factory, isn't the one working on the engine, right? It's not the same person. The person who's working on the, you know, the, the different, the car has a manufacturing process. What we do in our agency for growth has a manufacturing ish type process. Mm -hmm. I can't take the person who does paid ads and all of a sudden make them the web developer. I it just, doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. I agree. <laughs> so I can't just get rid of the top three salaries and cut the bottom line yeah. because the skill sets are cross dimensional. And I can't expect that person who does paid ads to understand how to write blogs, right? It's just not the way it works. So yeah. we just made new decisions. So step two is make new decisions based on those facts. Step three is come up with a plan that will help you lead to the successful outcome of your decision. And this is where, you know, you know, Shahid, you probably know this as well as I, and probably all your guests. Sometimes we don't have the answers. We can make a decision. We can make peace. We can make a decision, but we don't have a plan. That's where coaches, mentor guides, masterminds, training programs come in. And you've got to invest in that, in that, in that Agreed. process, go find someone who can help you get through this process. Mm -hmm. And our business advisor was, was key for us. Uh, he doesn't know digital. He's just a business advisor, Yeah, but he was key. Mm -hmm. um, and then we just started looking around the industry at who was making similar pivots to what we were doing. Yeah, And so you got to find that step three, which is figuring out the plan. And then step four is, is obviously <clears throat> the hard part, which is making the daily commitment to action yes. on that plan. Uh -huh. on that plan uh -huh. long after your feeling left you when you made the decision. Right. So it's hard to say, I'm not going to let anybody go, <laughs> yeah. but the payroll is coming due. 
and the revenue is not coming. The revenue is gone. The payroll is still there. It's it's you got to keep the decision to the commitment and and make the action. So the action for us was in this one example is we've got to make more sales. So how do we do that? We can't go meet people like we used to. We can't all my business partner. He's a speaker, by the way, he's a speaker and author. He can't travel. All of his travel was canceled. All of his speaking gigs were canceled. Mm -hmm. So we had to turn virtual events on and we had to do all the same stuff. A lot of people had to do. So the question though, in step four is, are you going to be committed to the action steps and keep your energy and belief factor high? And I think that's where some people get derailed. They make a decision in their head. It doesn't attach to their heart and then they lose motivation. And so yeah. I say that any decision in your head has to get attached somewhere in your heart. Mm -hmm. And for me, what was that? The heart was looking on that zoom camera and knowing that nine or 11 people, they believed in me and my partner to figure this out. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how it was going to go. Mm -hmm. I just didn't, but I knew that looking in that zoom screen, when we broke, broke our company into virtual, those nine, 11 people were sitting there believing that we would get it figured out. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's what I thought about every night. Yeah. Right. Our clients were like emotional yeah, connection. You got to get it to your heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause in my head said, my head said, there's a faster way to fix the bottom line. Yeah. And there would have been, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's a faster way to fix the bottom line, but that that's, that's not going to, you know, that's all the decision-making that goes into. So that's just one example. Mm -hmm. um, of course, many in, in my career. Yeah. And decision making, it's, you know, you make the decision, you have to make a quick decision of what you have and you make it work. But that point that you mentioned about connecting it to your heart, that right there is everything. And, and unfortunately, people don't realize that your emotional side of you is what makes this body move, you know, and makes things happen. So by connecting those two, you know, you it's, it's amazing. I love that. I'm going to definitely recommend if anybody's listening to check out this uh, information that Daryl is sharing about the four steps. Um, now, my next question is, are you getting this done or is it natural? The beard, I'm sorry, the color, the color. Oh yeah, no, that's natural. That's my, so are this is sure? the COVID beard. This is the COVID beard. It's just coming in the way that's it's coming awesome. in. Um, so people ask it was me. an experience. People, people ask me too, right? Is that, is that, is that colored or yeah. is it natural? It's just natural. But yeah, yours no, is, yeah, is coming perfect. in natural. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, the two the two grays are coming in on the sides of the chin. Yeah, so it's kind That's of interesting. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. And then you mentioned about a, a life event. I'm sure you don't want to share that, right? Like what happened or anything like that? No. It's perfectly okay. fine. Oh, you can? No, it's perfectly fine. Oh. I can share. Yeah, it's it's perfectly fine. It, uh, I usually don't just jump into it unless yeah. uh, someone wants to hear about it. But yeah, so um, the life event uh, that sort of shaped what I call the mind shift method and really has shaped, I, you know, the underlying process that I go through now and, and am now confident that I can deal with anything mm. is that uh, I had two children in my 20s with uh, uh, my girlfriend at the time. Mm -hmm. We split in 98. And during that time period, she decided to move from Vegas to Texas. And so now as a father who has a history of his father leaving him, uh, I could have easily thought about those facts and, and got into blame mode. Like, why did she do that? Why did she take my kids across state lines? Uh, we were 1,075 miles away roughly. And, but I, my decision at the time was, okay, the facts are the facts. She's not coming back and she's a grown up. She's an adult. She can do that. She had family there. It made logical sense. It hurt like heck to not have my kids in my life every day. Mm -hmm. 
But the truth of the matter was I had new decisions to make. And so the decision was, I'm going to be a good father and I'm going to be present in my kids' lives, no matter how far away we are. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what it looked like. Obviously we had all the visitation and stuff set up, but when I said, I sort of had to make the decision about entrepreneurship, the way visitation was set up, I, I would get my kids all summer. Uh, they were eight and two at the time. And, and I would get them for certain holidays and the way the court broke it down, it was kind of weird. So her and I worked out kind of a, an ad, you know, the summer stayed in place. We just kind of flipped the holidays because it just didn't make sense mm-hmm. the way the court broke it down. And, uh, so we were very, uh, uh we, we worked together as co-parents and the reality was my decision for entrepreneurship was it's just not logical that I'm going to see my kids that much over the summer. If I have a regular job. Yeah. So I'm going to put them in daycare and I'm going to go to work all day. And it's a lot, a lot of parents have to deal with yeah. this, but I just was like, this ain't acceptable. It's just not acceptable. So I wanted a situation where I was pretty much off all summer, or I could choose to be off most of the summer and spend a, um, a high amount of quality time with them. And so what I did was I, of course, chose entrepreneurship. I was in the mortgage industry at the time, which uh, in the mortgage industry, you're self-employed. Mm-hmm. And I was able to set my schedule up and set my business model up such that during the summer when they were uh, in, in, in town, I pretty much, <laughs> I, I, I don't, by the way, money was not, by the way, let's be clear about another thing. I wasn't, I wasn't killing it in finances. I, I made decisions. In other words, I wasn't just so wealthy that I could just take the whole summer off and goof off. No, I just decided to live at a certain point of my means such that I could pay for the money to travel back and forth. Cause remember you can't put a kid on a plane at eight and two and send them on their own mm. way. I had to go travel and get them for five years. Oh. I had to travel over and back, over and back, over and back, over and back, over and back. Right. That was my responsibility. So you think about the cost factor uh, planes are a little cheaper today than they were then. I, I remember playing as much as $1,400 to get over and back. Um, but anyway, that was one of the things that happened that shaped me as a, as a human, um, the decision to be present and do everything I could to be present as much as you possibly can for an eight and two year old, uh, decisions to call every weekend, even if I didn't, I got silence on the other side, um, and, and be consistent with that. Uh, be consistent with supporting her as, as a parent in her household, as the boys got older and they can be a little defiant. Um, it wasn't like you're going to run to dad and bail you out. No, no, mom said, those are the rules. That's just the way it works. Mm-hmm. You're going to respect her. Um, and one time when my oldest son didn't do something and she called me and, and I said, listen, if I get on a plane and come down there, we're going to have a problem. And I was willing to do that at any given point in time. And so just my decision to, you know, the methodology, right. I decided well, the facts were the facts. I decided what I wanted to do from my side of it as, as a decision to move forward, to be a good dad, do what I could. I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what it looked like. The plan eventually became be an entrepreneur, because if you're an entrepreneur, you can control your schedule a bit more. Mm-hmm. You have a chance for bigger revenue mm-hmm. than you would if you're just at a regular job that gets two to three, mm-hmm. four, 5% increase every year. You don't have to worry about people telling you when you can and can't have time mm-hmm. off. But now your job is to prove the model. And then the fourth piece is uh, making it happen, right? So <laughs> um, that, that you just don't know what that looks like. But um, the reason I use the word mind shift instead of mindset, and I'm a big believer in mindset. The reason I say mind shift is that I believe as I look back at a lot of these decisions I had to make, that there was a non-negotiable aspect to the decision. And that means I have to be a different person. I have to show up as a different person. Mm-hmm. I have to behave in a certain way. Jim Rohn used to say it this way. Um, when you set a goal, 
um, you got to set a goal big enough that makes you got to set a goal that makes you become somebody different. Mm -hmm. Cause if you're the same person, when you reach this goal, as you were before you set the goal, you really didn't grow. Mm -hmm. And so a goal should push you to have to become a different person. And for me, it was maturity. And for me, it was, um, owning up to my own mistakes. And for me, it was looking myself in the mirror every day when it was hard. And when I was sleeping on the floor and there are some pieces to the story that again, some other people here can recognize when I made this decision, I was sleeping on my grandmother's couch out of two duffel bags. It was a really tough time. How, mm. how dare I say that I'm going to be an entrepreneur sleeping on my grandmother's couch out of two duffel bags with a 472 FICO score. I'd made some mistakes. Shahid. Mm. And who do I think I am? Right. But it became an ownership of my responsibility mm. in that moment. And it became non-negotiable. Mm -hmm. And I started setting goals and it, it made me become a new person. Yeah. It forced me. And by the way, I already had eight years of personal development in me. Right. So I had a little bit of base but I was in a point of emotion where I, I had to get myself out of that emotion because I had enough personal development. I had enough spiritual, but I had to get myself into to where I believed faithfully that that was going to happen. Like the things that I said were going to happen, were going to happen. Um, it didn't magically make them happen, but the doors began to open the, the work that I put in um, began to elevate the situation and, and things have um, things have gone. Okay. And so again, a lot of people will say, Oh, you know, on the other side of success and this and that, but yeah, but are you willing to do the stuff that no one saw? Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the key, uh, not just in entrepreneurship, but in life, like be willing to do the hard work when no mm -hmm. one's looking, mm -hmm. when nobody's there to applaud you. And, um, I say this a lot, and that is one of the hardest things about entrepreneurship is your ability to keep commitments to yourself. And that's where I see a lot of entrepreneurs yes. struggle. They just don't keep commitments to themselves. They, mm -hmm. they set the goal today, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days later, the goal is yeah. not that important. Yeah. So. Well, the, you know, the, like you mentioned, the goal has to be really big and beautiful. Um, and when it's not, people kind of drift, kind of get. Well, it has that. to go from here yeah. to here. Yeah. The heart. The if, heart you, if you don't get connection. the goal out of here. Yeah. If you don't get the goal out of your head and get it into your heart, you'll quit. Yeah. You no gotta problem. have a desired filled, you know, you gotta be like burning with it, obsessed with it. Yeah, let me, That's... let me, let me share another quick example. When I grew up, my dad was a very disciplined dude. Like right? mm -hmm. he's from the South. He had a discipline process. I wasn't wild about his discipline process, but it worked. Uh, I didn't die. Uh, but he believed in belts. He believed in whooping you when you didn't mm -hmm. do stuff right. Mm -hmm. he, that's just the way he was raised. I decided I wasn't going to do that, but that's just what he did. Mm -hmm. But let me tell you, when, when I had a goal to have good grades, it was kind of a forced goal because I knew there was a consequence yes. for not getting the good grades, right? There was two consequences. One, there was a possibility of getting a whooping. Number two, I definitely wouldn't play sports because that was a condition of our household environment. You don't get to play sports unless you have good grades. And if you, you really screw up, uh, there could be some, some, some backlash. Um, that got from my head to my heart, believe me, because mm -hmm. my emotion yeah. <laughs> didn't want to have nothing to do with that belt. No, nothing. <laughs> yeah. As little as possible. Yeah, no, for sure. That's like, is that connection, the heart and your conscious mind and connecting to your heart, that is everything. And that connection is where people fall short and we see that struggle. And the three key words that you said, they're amazing in this interview are, you know, goal, belief, and decisions. These three, if you bring that into your life, you'll start seeing 
um, uh, major shifts because nothing starts without making a decision and you made some serious ones and I'm, I'm grateful to have you on the show my friend and I appreciate your time one last question we always like to ask our guests what's their inner superpower that got them to this point oh wow uh, empathy nice um, it wasn't always a known superpower and, and I'll explain what I mean by that mm-hmm. I have had the interesting walk of life to be involved in work. I've been, I've been involved in all sorts of scenarios, uh, interracial, multicultural, multi-ethnic people from all walks of life. I've been interacting with now for 25, 30 years. Mm -hmm. I have been in businesses now working with almost a thousand companies the last 11 years. And in order to really, uh, someone said this to me about 15 years ago, they said, Daryl, you're just like a chameleon. Like you just can kind of ebb and flow with whatever environment you're in. How do you do that? And, and I think that's when I realized that I just have the, I have an in, uncanny ability to just try to understand the room, the environment, the person, the background, the possibility they're mm-hmm. thinking. And so I have a philosophy that I believe whenever I'm challenged to, to do the human thing, which is to reply or respond in an adverse way. Uh, I remember getting a one-star review uh, on a business, uh, deliverable with a company and we were a hundred percent in the right, but that person chose to leave a one-star review. And that person wrote a book, uh, public book, by the way, if you know anything about Google reviews, you can't just remove them. And I've just developed this idea that, okay, before we reply or respond, pause, just pump the brakes, Get, be careful before your emotions take over. And then step two in this little mindset process is put yourself in their shoes and try to gain their perspective. Mm -hmm. And if you can gain, it doesn't mean you agree with their perspective, Mm -hmm. but just try to gain their perspective. Because if you get those two steps, you know, and then you go ahead with your reply and Mm -hmm. try to end up in a healthy discourse of dialogue, whatever that may be. Uh, We don't have to go too far back in history in the last couple of years, both in our political environment is in the United States and, racial tensions and things of that nature. And it's just a matter of, so empathy for me, I always try to understand where could this person yes. be coming from? Where, what mm-hmm. teaching, what lessons, what learning could they just be ingrained in their, in their walk of life? I may not agree with it, mm-hmm. but can I at least try to understand where they're coming from? Yeah. I'd hope that the world would be a more empathetic place. I think we're moving more towards the world having more empathy for others. And, Mm -hmm. um, I, I think for me, that's what it's been. It's helped me in business more often than not. Um, it helps me with, I last little quick side bit. I, I, when I was in my mortgage career, I worked with companies, I worked with individuals who were high net worth. And then I worked with people who were first time buyers who were buying a $60,000 condo. Those are two different buyers buying the same product, but there's two different demographics and psychographics. And I just don't know how I figured it out, but I just figured out, just try to sit in their seat for a little bit um, and understand where they're coming from, understand what motivates them, what drives mm-hmm. them. And again, give, giving some credit to Tony Robbins, because I understand uh, I learned his six human needs and don't ask me to quote him, <laughs> mm-hmm. but in his work, he talks about all of us have these six basic human needs. And so I think about uh, the aspect of those. And then Robert Cialdini was another great influence on me understanding human psychology 
And I just think I just try to live in that perspective. That's so awesome. long answer for the word empathy, but no, uh, that's, no. that's my perspective. No, it's good. Yeah. Because empathy, but you could actually look at it as perception as well. You have a very powerful perception. And I think perception is a key as well in business is how you look at things and you're, mm-hmm. you're able with empathy, with perception, you're able to look at different directions to provide a solution. So this empathy, this perception could do wonders for your clients. So, you know, I hope that you serve more and more people. I hope you have all the success in the world and you keep growing, you keep impacting the world uh, because we need good people. We need people like this in business more and more. So I appreciate you. I appreciate everything you do. And um, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Let me say this. Thank you as well. Appreciate you having me. Um, I just want to say for you as well, uh, we're at a place right now where digital creators like yourself, entrepreneurs like yourself, um, we're putting, we have the ability to bring platforms like this together. And so I'm super humbled uh, to have the opportunity uh, keep doing what you're doing because I think we're all taking our own journey in making a bigger walk, a bigger mark, excuse me, on this world and just opening up dialogue and sharing conversations. Yes. And the funny thing about it, what I've learned is the more we talk and dialogue through these mediums, the more we realize how similar we are, which is something yes. I really believe we're all made up of the same yes. stuff and we're more, we're more alike than we are not alike in the end. So yep. uh, thank you so much for having me Shahid. It's, it's a pleasure being here and I hope to continue to collaborate with you in the future. For sure. And I appreciate that. What you just said is that we are connected, like everything in our universe is all connected. Like even scientists now are saying that we're made from stardust, you know, and they've been saying that for a long time, but now they're bringing, now they're having proof. And that's huge. You know, like that shows that we're all connected. We have to serve each other. And COVID has been the biggest thing that happened in in our lives to create this environment, you'll see more and more people are becoming more uh, compassionate and, and, you know, they're, they're coming out, they're serving, they're helping more people in through these mediums. And I just want to want you to know that after this interview, I still want to continue to know you and interact with what you do and be supportive any way that possible that you need anything from me, always open doors for me. I want to be, you know, grow a relationships with anybody I meet, everyone I meet, because I genuinely love everyone. Like I want to grow uh, with, with everyone that I meet. So hopefully we keep in touch and we grow together. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you and support 100% of the idea. Awesome. Great. Sounds great, Daryl. Thank you again. Thanks, Shahid. Take care. 